Let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that this morning your word would change us, encourage us, strengthen us, and fill us with joy and hope. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, you may be wondering why we haven't lit any of the Advent candles yet. Um, That's because uh, the idea that I had this year was that I would uh, preach about the different uh, candles. (laughs) Today we're going to hear a sermon about candles. No, Um, I'm I'm going to, each of the candles represents something different, Uh, hope, joy, uh, love, peace, and Christ. Uh, And so I'm going to, over the next four weeks, preach four sermons on hope and joy and peace and love. And uh, uh, so today I'm going to preach to you about hope and the hope that we have because of Christ. And I'm going to be using uh, Matthew 1 verses 18 to 25. So if you want to turn there, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. We're going to be looking at the various aspects uh, and circumstances that surrounded Jesus' birth over the next four weeks. So today we're going to be looking at um, the angel appearing to Joseph and the message that Joseph, the, the adopted father of Jesus, received from the angel. Next week we're going to look at Mary and the angel appearing to her, and the message that he gave to her, and and the song that she sang because of um, the angel's message. Uh, The week after that, we will look at Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and the prophecy that he gave uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then on the last Sunday, which is uh, just a couple days before Christmas, we'll look at the story of the shepherds in the fields, Uh, And maybe even the Magi at the same time, but probably just the shepherds because there's a lot there and looking at the message that they received from the angels. So we're looking at four messages from probably all the same angel. Um, Could have been multiple angels. Um, There was an angel who appeared to Zechariah and told him uh, what was going on as well. Uh, And so we're going to look at the what the... In, in a lot of ways, this is the first time that the gospel is preached in the gospels. Uh, this is the first time uh, God is giving the, the heavenly message. He is giving it through the angels. Uh, and then the angels are, in, in a sense, passing on the message to humanity. And humanity is expected to then take it to the rest of humanity. So um, here in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, the message that I want to... Uh, burn into your brains, if that's not too vivid an analogy, uh, is hope. That the promise that the angel made to Joseph was a promise of hope. That through this message, if this message is true, or maybe I better say, since this message is true, we have hope. We have hope. So Matthew 1 Verses 18 to 25 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what, was, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Joseph woke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. So in this short little passage, we're introduced to a lot of things. Uh, we're introduced to uh, a few key people that will be really important uh, in Jesus' life. Uh, one of the people that we're introduced to is Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus is born in this passage. Uh, Mary, Jesus's mother, is introduced here, though um, she is not the, the primary uh, person that is being addressed. Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus, is the one who is being addressed here. Joseph is uh, from, well, if you look back at Matthew chapter 1, the uh, verses 1 to 17, uh, it's all about how uh, Joseph is important. Joseph is a significant person. Now, the genealogy really is about Jesus, but it is before Jesus is born, it is Joseph's genealogy, right? Up until chapter 18 or verse 18, uh, the, the story is about the, the ancestry of Joseph, the physical ancestry of Joseph. This would be Jesus's adopted ancestry, not his uh, actual um, physical uh, DNA ancestry. Uh, it is Joseph's ancestry. And so it goes from, it, it starts at Abraham and comes to uh, David and then comes to uh, Zerubbabel. And those uh, three figures are very important figures in the Old Testament. Abraham is uh, the first one that is called by God. He's called up from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is modern day Iraq. Uh, he's called up from there and sent into uh, the land of Canaan, where he is promised that he is going to inherit it. And he has children there. Uh, he has uh, Isaac, uh, and Isaac gives birth to, or gives birth, <laughs> Isaac's wife <laughs> gives birth to a son named Jacob. And Jacob then has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, and Israel then uh moves into the promised land and establishes itself in the land of Canaan. David becomes their king and David's uh, descendants reign from his time until uh, about uh, 470 years before Jesus is born. And then uh, Babylon comes and conquers them and takes them away to Babylon. And then Persia conquers Babylon and sends the people back to Canaan. So, or back to the land of Israel. Uh, formerly known as Canaan. Uh, and so this is all, all of this section is uh, I, working to identify that uh, Joseph is, number one, a pure Israelite. He is a descendant from Abraham. He is a descendant from uh, Isaac and Jacob and Judah. Judah is very important uh, in this because it says the ruler's staff will never depart from Judah. It says that in Genesis 50. And it is then, uh, his line is followed down to King David. So not only is he 
uh, an Israelite, but he is also the rightful heir to David's throne. That's very important. Joseph is the rightful heir to David's throne. At this time, when Joseph is alive, there is no throne. David's descendants are not reigning. Uh, They are under uh, Roman rule. They are serving the Roman government. So uh, after uh, Persia sent everybody back, they were then conquered by uh, the Greeks. And then the Greeks were conquered by the Romans. And Israel just kind of got passed around between all of those groups until uh, this present day of, of Joseph, where he is now living in Israel, but it is under Roman authority. And you read about that if you've heard the 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 classic passage that is always read at Christmas time, you know, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And Joseph was a part of the Roman world. He was, uh, but he was not allowed, or he was not given his throne. After uh, Josiah, uh, the king, uh, his son, uh, Jeconiah, Jeconiah, reigned on the throne. After he was dethroned, there were no more kings. Even when the people came back, there were no more kings. Zerubbabel was uh, a very important person in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, but he was just a governor. He, w- he was never given the rights of a king. And so the, the line of kings has been broken, uh, though it's not like Lord of the Rings, but the line of kings has been broken. And uh, they are no longer reigning Uh, But Joseph is, as we trace this line, we can see that Joseph is the rightful heir of King David. He should be sitting on David's throne. Uh, But with the Roman uh, government ruling over them, there there is no option. There is no chance that that will ever happen. And so that's that's who Joseph is. Joseph is of the tribe of Judah. He's of the lineage of David. And he is betrothed to a woman whose name is Mary. And we don't really know a ton about Mary. It's speculated that the book of Luke, the genealogy that's there is about her ancestry, which is possible. Um, It could also just be another way of getting around to Joseph being uh, the ancestor. So um, because everybody has multiple uh, genealogies. So, uh, Excuse me. Yeah, Joseph is betrothed to a woman named Mary. uh, And before they ever came together, she was found to be with child. She gets pregnant and it's not Joseph's and they're not married. Uh, And so Joseph now is faced with a choice. He can follow the law uh, of Deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 23 and 24, which says that if a man is betrothed to a woman and she gets pregnant by another man, she will be stoned. Right? That was an option for him. He could have done that. Um, but Joseph being a just man, or uh, a better, uh, maybe a better translation of that is upright. He was an upright man. He was a good man. Uh, he was someone who wanted to be faithful to the law, but he was also merciful. Right? Uh, he decided that rather than do that, he would just divorce her quietly, give her a certificate of divorce, and, and send her away so that she wouldn't be embarrassed and, and she wouldn't have to be killed. But also, he doesn't have to be married to a woman who's been unfaithful. And he is uh, working through those things. And uh, while he's working through this and trying to decide what he's going to do, uh, an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, 
So there you're identifying again that Joseph is the son of David. He is the rightful heir. He is the one who is uh, given uh, a special, um, well, he, he is the son of David. He says, uh, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So at this point, Joseph is still faced with the same choice. Because whether or not, where, wherever the baby came from, it's not his, right? He is going to have to raise this baby as his own, or he's going to have to put Mary away. Uh, but if he chooses to marry her anyway, and to take her as his wife, and to raise this child as his own, he is going to have to face the rumors and the odd looks in the same way that she will, right? People are going to say about him that he couldn't hold on to his woman, and that he, you know, was uh, didn't have the courage to actually put her away and find a better wife. Um, she obviously is going to have to deal with rumors that she is a whore and all of these sorts of things. And so um, Joseph makes the choice that he is going to stay with Mary and love her, raise her child as his own, uh, because this is part of God's plan. You know, when we talk about Joseph being an upright man, Joseph was not just an upright man in that he didn't have her stoned, but he was an upright man in that he was willing to take in this woman and to care for her and to stay with her and to raise God's child. Uh, he was not ready to, or he was not willing to mess with God's plan. Uh, he was willing to stay with her. Uh, she will bear a son and you, Joseph, will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is Joseph's command. Joseph is commanded that he is now going to take this child he is going to name this child because in ancient times, whoever named the child was, uh, it was, that was symbolic that this person has authority over this other person, right? When, uh, if you read the book of Daniel, when uh, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah are taken into Babylon, the king of Babylon changes their names to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's because the king of of Babylon is claiming them as his own, as his property. That he is claiming that he has authority over these people. They do not have independent authority. He has authority over them, right? Same thing with fathers. Fathers were given the right to name their children in ancient cultures because they were given authority over their children to raise them as their fathers. So Joseph, at this moment, is being given authority over Jesus to be his father, to adopt him as his own and to take him in. Uh, <coughs> but in the midst of that, he has, he still has to call him what God says to call him, right? So he is going to name Jesus, but he's going to name Jesus the name that God told him to name Jesus, right? So the authority that he has as father is still subject to God's authority as father over Jesus. God is the one naming Jesus and he is using Joseph to name Jesus because Joseph is going to be Jesus's father. He is going to have all of the rights uh, and authority as Jesus's father. He's going to take Jesus into his home and he's going to train him up in the way of the Lord. He is also going to teach Jesus uh, his trade and is going to make him like a son. He is going to be the firstborn son. He is going to have the inheritance that the firstborn son deserves and rightfully gets.
And so you really see Joseph submitting himself to the will of God and committing himself to God and believing the message that he hears from God. It says that he, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Uh, this is verse 24. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Because Joseph was an upright man and he was following the will of God. He believed the message of the angel and he uh, committed himself to it. That's kind of the cultural situation that I wanted to, to help you understand. Uh, understanding what was going on around the time of Jesus' birth will help us to understand why he was born, when he was born, uh, and the circumstances around his birth. How he was, how all of God's uh, command, all of God's promises are fulfilled through Jesus. Right, that Jesus is going to be a king who sits on David's throne. Right. Well, he, how can he do that if he's not descended from David? Well, he's not descended from David physically, but he is adopted into David's family and given the rights of the firstborn. Right. And so, therefore, God is fulfilling His promise to Jesus or to His people through Jesus that Jesus will sit on David's throne. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, Jesus also is born in Bethlehem. He, uh, this was prophesied in the book of, I think it was Malachi, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Well, Joseph doesn't live in Bethlehem and neither does Mary. So how are you going to get the king, the king or the guy who's descended from David to go back to his hometown? Well, you influence the Roman emperor to call for a census so that it will all happen according to your plan. God is so sovereign that he can command an emperor in Rome to call for a census so that a peasant man in Israel will go to the right town at the right time so that his wife will give birth in the right place. Amen. Right? <laughs> like, that is the sovereignty of God, right? That is the power of God in the world. God can orchestrate events all according to his plan. And he probably put uh, Jesus in Mary's womb before Caesar had the idea to call for a census. I don't know if that's true, but that's my guess. Because God would do that. <laughs> just, to show, just to show off. God, God likes to show off his glory and his power. There are, there are many miracles that, ha that surround the birth of Christ. That's one of them. That the emperor would call for a census at just the right time and just the right way so that people would go to just the right place so they would be born at just the right time. But another miracle that happens in, that is declared in this section of scripture and in the ones in Luke is that Jesus is born of a virgin. And we kind of take that idea for granted that Jesus is born of a virgin. Yeah, you know, the Virgin Mary. We all know about the Virgin Mary. But think about that. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's pretty, that's impossible. The birth of Jesus is an impossible thing. It is an absolute miracle. Mary conceives by the Holy Spirit. This is spoken of in this passage twice. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse, uh, in verse 20, uh, as Joseph was considering these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
So in two different places in this section, it speaks that this is a miracle. The child that is born or that is uh, conceived in her womb is a miraculous conception, something that cannot happen. Uh, with our modern technology, I suppose it probably could happen. They could probably uh, slice open a, a woman and put an egg in there that's fertilized and sew her back up and she could grow the baby and give birth. But back in this day, that couldn't happen. It was impossible. Uh, <clears throat> this is the only way that this is possible is through uh, a miracle, through the Holy Spirit miraculously coming upon uh, Mary and conceiving a child in her womb. Uh, it's, it is a miracle which is uh, difficult to believe. It is highly contested. And, and many atheists and even a lot of Christians deny it outright. Um, I was... Uh, I used to use a, a, a certain commentary set that I have um, as I would do my sermon preparations. And uh, as I was kind of going through, uh, there was in this commentary, it said, the virgin birth is not something that we should take seriously, but it's just intended to show us how Jesus was, you know, important. And I was like, I have a whole commentary set of the entire New Testament of this guy who denies the virgin birth. And I had no idea. And I, so I, they're up on my shelf and I'm, I guess I'm going to throw them away, but I haven't yet. But uh, this is something that many people who claim to be Christians deny. But this is the problem is that if you deny the virgin birth, then your salvation is in big trouble. You can't be assured of your salvation if the virgin birth is denied. That's how important the virgin birth actually is. The virgin birth is not a minor point of Jesus' story that can be tossed out and dumped. It is absolutely central to Jesus' birth and Jesus' life and Jesus' claim to be divine. Amen. It, it, no virgin birth means that God's promises are not fulfilled. Period. It means that you cannot trust that God's promises will be fulfilled. Amen. You cannot trust anything else that God says if he didn't give birth or if he didn't conceive his son in the virgin womb. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6 declares that the Messiah would be the mighty God, Amen. the mighty God. How could the offspring of a man and a woman be mighty God? It cannot happen. We're not... Uh, we're not Hindus and Buddhists who believe that God is within all of us. We believe, we are monotheists. We believe that there is one God and that he has uh, autonomy and individuality and that he is not within people, that he is an independent person. Well, three persons actually. So we're Trinitarian monotheists is what we are. Uh, or at least if you're a member of this church, you better be. Um, <laughs> Um, we, we know that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, he is not everyone. He is one. And so if a man and a woman come together and have a child, that child has no more claim to divinity than you do or than I do. This child has to be born in a supernatural way. It has to be born of a virgin. It is 
made possible by the or because the Holy Spirit entered her womb in a supernatural way and conceived the Lord Jesus Christ, there was no sexual intercourse involved. That's why it's important to say that she was a virgin. Because if she was just a woman who was married to a man and at some point she got pregnant and said, this is immaculate conception, then nobody would believe that, right? It has to be a virgin. A virgin uh, is someone who has never had sexual intercourse before. And so it is a miracle, (laughs) right? It is something unbelievable. It is something that could never happen. And I mean, Mary probably received quite a lot of disbelief when she would say, you know, who's your father's child? Uh, God, really? Uh, Right, sure. You know, like that's, I'm sure that's the the treatment that she got. But uh, this is, this is something that you can only believe by faith. Um, Speaking of God's promises not being fulfilled, uh, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, Isaiah 714, here, I'll read it. If this doesn't settle it in your minds, then nothing will. Uh, Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That is a promise made 700 years before Jesus was born. That the virgin would conceive and bear a son. And so if Mary is not a virgin... And if Jesus is just the product of an earthly father and an earthly mother, then God's promises either are never going to be fulfilled or they haven't been fulfilled yet and our faith is useless and we are most to be pitied of all people. God promised that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. The the quote of of, uh, Matthew 1.23 is Isaiah 7.14. Uh, It is directly identifying that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. Um, And and it is only through uh, the virgin birth, it is only through Jesus having a heavenly father rather than an earthly father in a biological sense. uh, This is the only way that we can claim that that Jesus is sinless. Because sin is passed on through the fathers. Uh, so you m- turn uh, to uh, Romans chapter 5, if you will. Romans chapter 5, this is explained to us uh, in verse 12. <clears throat> it says, um, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through, spread, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, um, For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So who ate the fruit first? Eve. Eve ate the fruit first. And so should this not say sin came into the world through one woman? That would make sense, right? Because she was the first one to eat, and she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so then death spread to all men because all sinned, right? Death came into the world through one woman. Well, that's not what it says. It says that sin came into the world through one man. It is through Adam that sin enters the world. The man carries the responsibility because he has been given the leadership of his household. 
Adam was given the leadership over Eve. Adam was created and was told, do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God created Eve. And then Eve went and ate from the tree. And he didn't say to her, hey, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't do that. He just let her do it. And then he ate it too. And so Adam was the one who was held responsible. When God enters into the garden, he doesn't say, Eve, what have you done? He says, Adam, where are you? He speaks to the man because the man was given responsibility. It was the, the man was held responsible for the problem. And so here in this passage, it says that sin comes into the world through men and death spreads to all men because all sinned. And those men spread it to their children and those children spread it to their children. And it all comes through the man. Here in this passage, we have God being the father. There is no man involved. And so there is no sin to be spread. God is the leader of this family. God is the one who is giving the child to the woman, putting the child in the woman. And so this child bears the nature of his father. We bear the nature of our fathers. Jesus bears the nature of his father. And if Jesus is not born of a virgin, and if he's just born to another man and another, uh, just some other man, then Jesus would bear the nature of his father and would be sinful and would be bound to sin under the curse of Adam. But God steps back, bypasses the curse of Adam, and steps in himself and provides a child who carries his nature. This is a miracle. And that's why the virgin birth is so important. It is absolutely essential. You cannot declare that Jesus is sinless if he has an earthly father. Because he would have received sinfulness, he would have received the curse of the fall from his father. But instead, he is like Adam as Adam was originally created. Adam was originally created in perfection, in moral purity. Jesus too was created in perfection, in moral purity. The virgin carried him and gave birth to him, but his nature was godly nature. If you don't have the virgin birth, Jesus is not God. And if Jesus is not God, then Jesus cannot pay for your sin and your faith is useless. So praise God that there was a virgin birth. And don't let anybody deny the virgin birth because if you concede that point, you have no salvation. You have no faith. Jesus' name here, uh, this is the last point, and this is where I really want to hammer home the hope message, the message of hope, which is that the angel appears to, to Joseph and says, uh, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus's name comes from the root word, which is Joshua. Jesus is, a, is the, probably, I think it's the Latin form of Joshua. Uh, the, uh, the uh, original language uh, that this was written in was, you shall call his name Iesus, because that's the Greek. Um, if you go back, though, to uh, the Old Testament in Hebrew, it was Yeshua. You shall call his name Yeshua. It's likely that Jesus uh, was called, 
Well, it's hard to say what he was actually called while he was on earth. He, he probably wasn't called Jesus. Very likely he wasn't. He was either called Jesus uh, or Yeshua or uh, there's another one that I can't remember. But uh, all of these, all of these words are just different languages for saying the same name. And the name is Yeshua, which means God is salvation or Yahweh is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. And so when the angel appears and says, you shall call his name Jesus, what he's saying is you shall call his name, salvation is from God. You shall call his name, God is salvation. Uh, names in Old Testament times were a lot more significant than they are now. We choose names now because it, they sound pretty uh, or they sound nice. When, when they named their children in the first century and, and before, it was very specific. We're naming this person this because that's, you know, that's what we want for them, or that's who they are. Um, there has, uh, if you look, if you read the book of Hosea, uh, Hosea names his kids, not loved and not my people. <laughs> so Jesus got a better deal than that. Um, but Jesus's name is hope. It is hope for us because God is salvation. Salvation comes from God. You shall call his name Jesus for he, who's the he? Jesus. You shall call his name God is salvation because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel here is declaring that Jesus is God, that Jesus carries divine nature. She will bear a son. You shall call his name God is salvation because he is going to save his people from their sins. And so this morning, I want to leave you with that message that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. And we can be assured that he did it. Because from the virgin birth and, and before, from, from the promises in Isaiah through the virgin birth, through his death and his resurrection on the cross, he accomplished that for us. And he said when he was on the cross, it is finished. And so you may have hope that the Lord Jesus truly did save his people. And so I, this morning I want to light the hope candle as our reminder that the Lord Jesus is who he says he is and that he truly did save us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, your, your truly only begotten Son, to come and live for us and to die for us. We know that Jesus was not your adopted child. He was your begotten child. He came from you and, and shares your divinity and shares eternal uh, sovereignty with you. Holy Spirit, I... Thank you for conceiving the Lord Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were actually willing to come and to bear human flesh and to live as one of us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would fill us with hope. As we go from here, we would be filled with, with peace and joy because we have the assurance that comes from you. 
I pray that you would bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen.